have the go ye kids to go ye. And uh, I hope that no one minds, but as uh, things would have it, I, I am going to try to finish this morning's message. I got about halfway through and uh, we took a little extra time with the praise and so uh, we're going to have to move a little quicker here. And uh, sorry, Brother Mike and, and uh Miss Kelly, you weren't here for the first half of the message, but uh, we'll try to make the second half, and Brother uh, Stephen here. But uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 2, and just once again, read through this letter and get right into it. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and has not denied my faith. Now, those two things we need to remember, that the church held or holdest fast my name and hath not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth." He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying, He that receiveth it. Now that is the letter, and uh, we started at the beginning as Jesus' introduction of of he that holdeth the, the two-edged sword, the sharp two-edged sword and the Word of God. And again, take your Bibles, if you would, and, and just uh, put something, your prayer list or something there in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and a finger in Hebrews 4 or, or something along those lines so that, uh, because we will be going back and forth between those two passages. And uh, we... Uh, dealt with the uh, the faith that they had and the things that were going good and being in the place where the power of Satan was in control uh, of everything around you, in control of the government, in control of society. And here we have this church, and I don't know about your ideas, but when I think about a church there, I'm thinking of a smaller church, a weaker church, a church uh, that is not influencing the entire area around because everyone is under the influence and the, denom- uh, uh, and the domination of Satan and his cohorts, those that serve him. Sometimes uh, it seems here in New York City that uh, we are that little voice crying in the wilderness, that uh, we just, uh, we're not being heard. But this is, this is what the church at, at Pergamos was going through. In fact, one of their own had been put to death, and yet Jesus charges them because there were people that had the doctrine of Balaam in the church. It wasn't the whole church. It it was just some people there in the church, and and we went through this doctrine of, of Balaam, that what he was trying to do is he could not curse the children of Israel, so he as a hired preacher, he taught Balak how to trick the children of Israel or entice them into sinning against God, then God had to judge Israel. And how many churches have been enticed into joining with religions and other denominations that do not teach the truth? This is one of the things... Uh, every time I mention this name, people, I always get flinches in the auditorium because the name Billy Graham is so revered as such a great preacher of the gospel. But let me tell you, the main work of Billy Graham was bringing the dead Protestant churches 
and the Catholic Church into mainstream Christianity. You see, when and Brother Clayton was not in the organizational meetings, but he, he told me the story. In 1955 was Billy Graham's first crusade. It was here in New York City. The fundamental pastors had asked him to come here. The Bible-believing pastors. At that time, Calvary Baptist was, a, was still a gospel-preaching church. And uh, the Baptist Temple in Brooklyn was still a gospel-preaching church. Uh, not as great as they had been in the past, but they were moving, moving toward the world. But they had asked Dr. Billy Graham to come and preach a citywide revival for them. And he refused. He said, I will not come unless you get the Methodist and the Episcopal and the Presbyterian. Now, at that time, those churches no longer preached the gospel, hadn't preached the gospel in generations. And yet he refused to hold the meeting until those dead, unsaved churches. And the philosophy was this. If they come and hear me preach the gospel, there will be people in those churches that get saved. Well, yeah. But where are they going to go when it's all done? Well, I'll come up from 1955 to 1984. The crusade was in Baltimore, Maryland. My uncle was a lay preacher for the Christian and Missionary Alliance. It's one of the holiness groups. And he participated, and I was a Bible college student at that time. And my uncle was so excited about the Billy Graham crusade. And uh, in fact, when he passed away, the vast majority of his money went to that organization. And he explained to me how the process worked Is at the altar call. Is you went up and the first question you were asked was, what denomination are you? And you would answer. And in 1984... The Catholic Church was fully participating in the Billy Graham Crusade, as all of the Protestant churches were, and Baptist churches, the liberal godless Baptist churches, as well as some of the fundamental Baptist churches. Everybody was there. Uh, my uncle was there, and he said, you, the first question you asked was what denomination, and then you sent them to the people that were trained by the Billy Graham Crusade from that denomination. Now, let me ask you a question. Father Joe from the local Catholic parish was trained by the Billy Graham crusade to lead people to the Lord. You think he's going to get it done or is he going to lead people back into the fold of the Catholic church? Hello? You see, that's the doctrine of Balaam. Now, we'll go back up to 1992. As we were getting ready to start this church, 1991 it was, or 90, right in that neighborhood, Billy Graham had a crusade out on Long Island. We were raising support to come here to New York City to start a church. And a church that Brother Clayton had helped start back in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. At that time, it was called the Long Island uh, uh, Bible ba- Long Island Baptist Temple, I think it was called, or Long Island Bible Baptist Church, I'm not sure. And uh, the then pastor was participating with the Billy Graham Crusade, and he said, I'm going to get those cards, is what I'm going to do. And I said, listen, you do what you want. We're independent churches. I'm not going to correct you, but I also don't expect you to correct me because he was trying to tell me how stupid I was for not wanting to participate. And uh, I don't have time to argue about that. It's the doctrine of Balaam. And then we come up to the last crusade that was held here in uh, Flushing Meadows Park. And a young lady that was attending our church, saved, baptized, went to the crusade with her landlady who was Indian, unsaved. And she wanted to go forward, not to get saved, but to pray uh, about some illness that she had. And I get a call from the Billy Graham crusade about 
our member, who the person who was a member of our church, had made a profession of faith. And I just ignored it. Because she's already saved, already baptized. She didn't make a profession of faith. It was just an over-eager alt. And then I got a nasty letter. If you are not going to follow up and report to us what you are doing with converts from our crusade, we are going to refer them to other churches. Well, that got a response. It wasn't very kind, nor was it intended to be kind. I said, I don't know who you people think you are, what you people are doing, but this person that you said got saved was already saved before they ever went to your crusade. I didn't put any adjectives in there. I wanted to. Uh, and they were already baptized in a faithful member of our church. Whoever your altar workers are, are untrained and don't know what they're doing and are just out for filling out confession cards. What do you think about that? Well, sir, we won't bother you anymore. But let me tell you something. That is the doctrine of Balaam. Billy Graham said, the Pope is one of the finest Christians he knows. Billy Graham said that Mrs. Bush Sr., the mother of our 43rd president, was one of those people that did not need to be saved. She was born saved. Billy Graham has also said that evolution could be true. That there's got to be some connection between science and the Bible. And he said that people can get saved and not even know they're saved. These are heresies, my friend. This is the doctrine of Balaam. Because when you bring the religions together, what do you lose? The sword's no longer sharp. It's no longer the sword that comes out of his mouth because it's no longer his words. And Jesus promises, I'm going to come and I'm going to fight against them. And I will tell you, there are empty church buildings all over this country today because people have swallowed the doctrine of Balaam. The Episcopal Church is a skeleton of what it was before the 60s. You know why? Because they started hanging out with the Catholics. And Episcopal was just Catholic light. And so why would you want Catholic light when you can have Catholic heavy? Churches like uh, the um, Christian and Missionary Alliance and many of the Nazarene churches and all of these things back in the 70s and 80s begin to make allowances for the speaking in tongues and the signs and the wonders. And those churches today have lost uh, a vast majority of their membership being sucked into the charismatic movement. Nyack Bible College, just up the river here, was founded by the Christian and Missionary Alliance to train missionaries. It's now called Nyack College... And if you've seen any of their advertisements, there's not one mention. You would never guess that it was a Bible college. Why? Because that's where the doctrine of Balaam will take you. And that's why we make such a big deal about it here. That's why I name names. Because if you didn't know these things. And by the way, the Billy Graham crusade is never going to tell you these things. You just have to listen to the news reports. You have to read the books. that No, don't read the books that Dr. Graham has written. Some of them have the gospel in them. And others would lead you straight past the pearly gates for a false truth. We, we cannot dull the sword so that we can get along with other people.
doctrine of Balaam. How about the Nicolaitans? You know what? You can get as many ideas about what the Nicolaitans believed as there are commentators to write on it. It's on, they are only mentioned in the Bible twice. Uh, C.I. Schofield came up with the idea uh, that the word Nico means to dominate, laity uh, uh, means uh, people. And so he claims that the Nicolaitans were the first to make a division between the clergy, the high preachers, and the laity. Well, okay. Uh, here's what the Bible says. In the two times that the Nicolaitans are mentioned, in uh, the letter to uh, the church at Ephesus here, uh, oops, did I turn the page here? Okay, there we go. Uh, but verse 6, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. And then we have in verse 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, that's pretty intense, is it not? Twice, when Jesus, the only two times in the Bible Jesus mentions the Nicolaitans, he says, I hate their deeds. And I hate their doctrine. Now, if Jesus hates something, that's pretty scary, isn't it? And where, where I'm going is keeping it in the context with the letter here. What were the two things that the church at Pergamos had done? They had held fast to... They had... Um, sorry. Let's look it up here. I don't want to make sure... Okay, he said, Thou holdest fast my name. That is the identification. The doctrine of Balaam was attacking that. It was taking the difference that Jesus made and mixing it with the other religions. That's where the immorality and the idol worship came from. Was Balak, uh, Balaam was teaching Balak. He said, If you corrupt their worship to God, God will judge Israel and you'll destroy Israel. And so that's exactly what he did. So what was the other one? And has not denied my faith. Now what is faith? Faith is our obedience to the Word of God. Amen? Do you know that the Corinthian church struggled with worldliness. Is that an amazing thought to anybody? Not if you've read the book of Corinthians, it isn't. It's full of worldly sin and carnality that the Corinthians were doing. You know what the Nicolaitans were doing? If we keep it in context. The Balaamites were attacking ecclesiastical holiness or separation. The Nicolaitans were attacking personal holiness and personal separation. You know what? Our church has never, ever had a dress code. But if you're going to serve, then we, we do ask you to dress a certain way. If you're going to serve as an usher, we ask you to wear one of these. And to wear a coat. Why? Because if you're going to show up to an important business meeting of any kind, and I've gotten to the point where I don't dress for the building department like I do for church. <laughs> because that's not as important to me as church is. Now, if I had one of those backward collars... I've been told, get one and wear it to the building department. They'll respect you more and, and listen to you. And uh, I, I, I ain't wearing no backwards collar for nobody. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'll just go down as I am. But when we had that very important meeting with all the heads of the departments, Brother Mike and I both showed up suit and tie. Why? Because we wanted them to know that we were serious about the meeting. 
You see, the world has always desired to be a part of the church so they can feel better about themselves. Hello? Oh, you goody two-shoes, you just think you're better than everybody. No, that is not the truth at all. But I'll tell you this. Worshiping God deserves more respect than getting a mortgage on a house. Amen? Amen? Worshiping God deserves more respect than a job interview. Would, can we say amen to that? Our worship to God. Uh, this is what I've told people forever. Said so we do not have a dress code. You wear what you have. But I'll tell you what I do. When I come to church, I wear the best that I have. Now, if the best that I had was a pair of jeans with holes in it and a t-shirt, better not say anything offensive on it. Turn it inside out. Amen? Don't let your clothes stop you from serving God. But, there's something wrong. That same preacher was trying to convince me to be a part of the Billy Graham crusade said, you just need to understand something. The men in my church and the people in my church get dressed up every day to go into Manhattan and work big, high professional. On Sunday night when they worship God, if they want to come in their t-shirts and their Bermuda shorts, that's fine with me. I said, listen, we're independent Baptists. Why are you trying to make me do what you want to do? You, you have the right to lead your church. Well, no, you don't. Because that used to be one of Jesus' churches. It's not anymore. They no longer have a Bible. They no longer have separated music. They no longer have Baptist in their name, which they shouldn't because they haven't been one. For 20 years, at least they're being honest about that. But the Nicolaitans were offering a lesser standard of Christianity. Does that sound like something Jesus would hate? I'm not saying that was the only thing the Nicolaitans were responsible for. We don't know. But it does say twice that Jesus hated them. And if we keep it in the context of this letter, there were two things that were going on. One is Jesus' name was at stake, and the other one was faith in Jesus is at stake. And when you drop your personal holiness and your personal separation from the world... You're going to damage your faith. I'll give you an illustration. Same preacher with the Billy Graham crusade and the Bermuda shorts and t-shirts was also sponsoring a skateboard day at his church where he is now in another state. Eight hours of skateboarding. Heavy metal music playing. Uh, How many of you have ever been to a skateboard park? And seeing what skateboarders do and how they live. And, uh, and this was full-blown, come as you are, enjoy your skateboarding. They put up all the ramps and stuff and played the same music that the kids play on their boxes. Only some of it had Jesus' words to it. And gave a 30-minute devotion in the middle of the day. And called that a ministry. I don't know about you, but that makes me ill. You see, we cannot win people if they still love the world more than they do Jesus Christ. You got to let go. You got to let go of the world to embrace Jesus. Can we say amen to that? And that's what the Nicolaitans were doing. Now, let me tell you something. They're alive and well today. 
And uh, maybe I'll still have to finish the sermon next Sunday morning. I got through the second half of the next point. But let me, let me just touch on a couple of things here. I, I think we can... I, I don't want to miss... I don't want you to miss out on... Uh, uh, it's so easy to accentuate the negative because it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's what we face uh, I had someone come up to me this morning after the morning service and say, I just, I needed to hear that about, that's what's going on in, in a church that that person knew about. And he said, it's just breaking my heart. And what do I do? I said, listen, I can't tell you how many quote unquote friends I, I, I've lost over the years. People that helped us so incredibly. The Bible college I was trained in, it, it makes me sick to my stomach that I cannot pay back to the college what they gave to me. But you see, they don't want it because they don't believe anything that they taught when I was a student there. And if you wonder why I'm so eager about Heartland, it's because I do have a debt to pay. A great portion of my tuition was paid for by churches just the same as, as our students at Heartland. And I want to repay that debt. And I'll tell you what, our church has gone a long way. But we, we have to understand these, these doctrines are, these, these problems are alive and well. And here's the answer, verse 16, repent. Now that word repent, that's how you got saved, Amen. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. See, that's part of our problem is it would be so easy to get angry at what's going on on the campus of Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and go back as an indignant graduate and raise Cain. And and what would that accomplish? It would demean the testimony of my Savior. Those people have made a decision. What they did, they were planning on doing the way, the best way I know how to describe it is, I came from a church like that. That's the church I grew up in. They were worldly. Uh, they had no separation. They didn't put Baptist in their name. They, they didn't understand or teach a lot of things. Now today, if you go back to that church... They'll tell you they're an independent Baptist church. And they preach only from the King James Bible. And they're, they're straight... The, the church and I have made the same journey. We just did it different ways. But the college is now far worse than I ever was. My problem was ignorance. Once I got a hold of this book called the Bible... I'll tell you what changed my opinion and, and my understanding of an awful lot of things. And so I embrace those things. And, and we need to have godly sorrow, not human sorrow. The sorrow of this world worketh death, doesn't it? Hell is full of sorry people. Prisons are full of sorry people. We need godly sorrow. We need to let God affect our heart. By the way, we go back to the Ephesian church and what was it? They left their first love. We love him because he first loved us. Everything we have is about Jesus. Amen? Jesus is going to take care of those people. He is working with them. I'll tell you, it is pathetic every time I hear it. On the campus of Baptist Bible College, there's not 250 students today. There were 600 students in my freshman class in 1982. There were over 1,200 students in Kevin Folger's uh, freshman class in 1970-whatever it was. Does that sound to you like... Maybe the Lord is fighting against that school with the sword of his mouth. 
because it doesn't take too much to figure out that they don't have a Bible anymore. They, they're, they are embracing the things that the Lord does not like. And it's not just attendance. But I'll, I'll tell you this. We need to watch our own here. Brother Mike is going to face many, many temptations when he becomes the full pastor of Union because there, there's already a local ministerial assassination there and they're expecting certain things. And uh, uh, there, you, you need to pray for him because the attack is strong and, and uh, those things are going on. But here's what it says. He that hath an ear, verse 17, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now, I want to be careful here. Uh, I'll tell you what, there are so many imaginations when it comes to hidden manna. Uh, the most crazy one, I think I told you about him, or he came in and he was going to, he, he told me how God was going to feed the church during the tribulation period through their television sets. He was going to transmit food. Uh, and, and I said, there's only one problem. The church isn't going to be here during the tribulation period. The church is raptured out at the beginning, before it starts. And I never will forget, as long as God gives me a memory to remember things, the look on his face, he just... He says, you know, you messed up my whole theology. And I just smiled real big. I said, I'm so glad. I said, you, you have no idea what you believe or what, what anything is. I said, you need to learn from the Bible, not your own whacked out imagination. Well, he never came back, but I'll tell you what. You can't have those kinds of ideas running around in your head and in your heart and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That you're the only guy smart enough to figure out that God's going to transmit food through TV sets. I mean, come on. Uh, I asked him how his meds were doing, and he told me that they had been regulated pretty regularly. So, uh, honestly and truly, it was part of our conversation. Let me tell you something. Five times in Jesus' ministry, if you count them up, he said, tell no man. Remember when he healed Jairus' daughter, raised her back from the dead? He shut everybody out, took only three disciples. They laughed him to scorn. Three disciples and her parents. I want you to understand something. God is in the miracle working business. And he wants to do it in such a way that it's just between you and him. You see, God doesn't want you to be part of a group text. He wants to communicate with you as an individual. Habakkuk, let me read the verse to you. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Habakkuk said all of the judgment and all of the horrible things that were going on around him. And he asked God, why does the righteous suffer and why does the wicked have the victory? And he ends the book with that verse. God is my strength. And he has those special high places that just belong to me and him. You see, my food is the word of God. It's not talking about necessary food for human substance here. It's talking about God's special provision of His Word, the sharp two-edged sword that isn't going to cut you. It's going to heal you. It's going to supply what you need. It's going to give you strength to walk 
in the city that Satan owns. I think we could use a little bit of that. How about you? And then that next one, he's going to give you a white, him that overcometh, he's going to give him a white stone. Somebody said, white symbols purity. Well, yeah, it does in the Bible. But this one's got a name written in it. Now, I don't know how that works. Whether the stone comes apart and the name's on the inside and you can close it up. But it says, nobody knows the name except God, Jesus, who gave it to you, and you. Now, uh, our family is not really Italian. My last name is Italian. My grandfather immigrated from Italy. And, and we've tried to keep a few traditions. Everybody's got to have at least one nickname. That's just an Italian tradition. And, and uh, you know, we got Boogie and Bubby and, and all the different little names that we called our kids. We'd never call them as adults uh, unless trying to embarrass them. Amen. Uh, but that, that's part of being in the family. How many of you have ever shared a special name with someone else? Just you and them. And you called each other. Husbands and wives often do that. And that's all it is. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to take time to give you a special name that only you and I will know about. Because I want to have an intimate one-on-one relationship with people in my church who want to serve me my way. That's what I wanted to get across. Now, very quickly, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 11 says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, as the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I'm just going to do something tonight. I want to, I want to finish this thing. And I'm going to send you home to pray, all right? Uh, and uh, isn't all right, just forgive me. But I, I want us to get this tonight. I want us to get this thought and understand this thing. You see, Jesus introduces himself as the one with the sharp sword that goes out of his mouth and he holds the sword. We learn about that sword in Hebrews chapter 4 that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that it's only through an understanding of this book called the Bible that we can keep straight. Jesus had some things to say to that church because they had people in that church influencing people in that church, other people in that church, in a wrong direction. One that led away from the Word of God. One that led away from the personal identification with Jesus Christ. One that led them in a direction that Jesus summed up saying, I hate. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, listen, verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, you can't hide anything from Jesus. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad he knows everything? But he wants you to tell him about it. 
That's what repentance is. It says that we have a high priest that was tempted in every point as we are. If I were to ask you a question, how many of you have sinned since last Sunday? Every hand would go up. Now, I don't think anyone in this room committed murder or, or felonious crimes, but we've still sinned against the Holy God. And in His eyesight, sin is sin because every sin nailed Jesus to the cross. See, then, let me just tie in something else. That's what being poor in spirit's all about. It's not that I don't have what I need. It's I can't get. I can't produce what I need. It all has to come from Jesus. Amen? Are we still together here? And you see, the Bible tells us that if we don't have this Word... We're going to be drawn in by the fakesters and the imposters and all of those things. And we're going to start walking in the direction that He has not ordained. And so we must be in the Word. We must read the Word of God. There's not a one of us in this room that reads their Bible enough. You should. If you don't have a regular Bible reading schedule, take this one. We're we're thinking about doing some different things. I want you to pray about that. We've given these things out for over 10 years now, I think. 12 years, something like that. And I've had some people say, well, I, I, I don't like that because it jumps around. Well, the reason it jumps around is to keep you in the context and in the, the uh, chronological or time t- uh, path of the Bible. But let, let me tell you, even if you did that every day, that's not enough. You should do more. We need to grow in our Bible reading. It's the only thing that will reign in the human mind and the human soul. It's the only thing that will control the human heart. You see, we have a Savior that wants us to talk to Him. It says, He that overcometh. Now, how do you overcome? You hold fast to His name and you don't deny His faith. He says, I've got hidden manna for you. Well, here it says we have boldness to come into the throne of mercy. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. I'll tell you, God wants us to pray about everything. He's got that supply that we need. I'll tell you, there's been more than one day working over at Union. I just throw my hands up and say, Why? I'm going to lose my mind in this place. But then I'm brought back to remember that it's not about me. And as much as I hate to admit it, it doesn't depend on me either. Because it's His church. And so we'll just keep serving Him. Amen? And He supplies in a special way Things that mean something between me and God. And if I tried to explain them to you, you'd say, that's silly. Oh yeah, it is silly. But God takes care of my silly things. Because he wants to encourage me personally in a very personal way. That's hidden manna. And he's got a name. He wants to have that intimate communication. He wants, to, he wants me to know that I'm an individual in His service and He takes time to know who I am. He's trying to illustrate the truth from the Sermon on the Mount that He knows the hairs on my head. He, he knows 
the path of my life. He knows every thought. I, I just can't help but quote Brother Thompson once again. He knows everything about me, but he still loves me. You can't say that about any other human being because no other human being knows everything about you. Well, they may think they do. 29 years. I don't know everything about my wife. And she doesn't know everything. But we're going to keep trying until Jesus comes. Amen? Because that's the way it ought to be. I want you to grab this thing. When I started this letter, I'm going, wow, what is in this letter for his church? Boy, this is going to be so hard to preach an encouraging message out of this letter. You know why? Because I hadn't spent enough time in the book. And when I did, I was like, wow. Jesus wants to be that close with me. Myself. Just just another little nobody in this vast world. Not to Jesus. He's got hidden things that are special just between me and him. Even got a pet name. I can't wait to find out what it is. Hope it's nothing embarrassing. But even if it is, it's just going to be between me and him. You see, he loves us. He loves us in such special ways. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it. We'll lose it. We'll listen to the bigger picture. I don't want a bigger picture. I want to know Jesus better. Amen? See, Jesus had some special promises to this church. A church that simply was faithful to Him and His Word. You know, Jesus gave Peter a new name, didn't He? said, your name's going to be Cephas, a little stone. Who's Jesus? He's the rock. He's the big stone. Peter says, Jesus tells Peter, he says, you're a little stone. You're just like me, just a little tiny one, though. That, I'm sure helped Peter when he failed, when he struggled, when he didn't know what was going on. Wow. I'm just a little one of him. He said so. He gave me that name. See, we miss so much if we're not careful. I don't know about you, but I want to walk with Him. I, I, want, I want to find out what that nickname is. I want to enjoy the hidden things that keep me from fainting and getting discouraged. Because Jesus wants to be active in my life as an individual, but He'll only do that as I'm active in his life in the local church. That's the context. And we've got to be different. You know, it's really strange. Everybody's trying to be radical today. They're shaving this and shaving that and putting marks here and uh, uh, cutting themselves and tattooing everything that... Everything but their credit cards. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. All the things the world does to be unique. And I've often used this as a joke. When one of those tackle box people that are painted all over the place and 14 colors of hair comes up and you give them a gospel track, you're weird, man. Now, when they call you weird, you've arrived. Amen? And somebody like that calls you weird, you know that you have passed the boundaries of weird. Guess what? 
that's a good thing. Because Jesus will make you different. His name is above all names. His name is the only name. And not everybody that uses his name. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Lord, Lord, they're not getting into heaven. But when you just serve him, he's got hidden manna. He's got a special name. He's got a relationship just between him and you. And you need to find it. You need to enjoy that because it's the only thing that will keep you in the world that belongs to the prince and power of the air. That's where we live, isn't it? It's what we need, isn't it? Isn't that an incredible letter to a church? And the reason he wrote these to the churches is because he wants all of the churches to enjoy these things. No one church is just this. It's, it's something that we can grab. We've got to guard our first love that we don't leave it. That's for sure. We need to be faithful to him as the church at Smyrna was that, that was poor and destitute and had nothing. But Jesus said, you're very rich. And now this church, he said, you overcome. My wife and I are going out for a special time tonight after church. Just us. Leaving all the kids at home. I like to do that. But have you ever done that with Jesus? That's what he's talking about. Will you grab that? Will you pray about that this week? Will you hold on to that when the devil attacks? When your mind starts spinning and everything starts just seeming like it's going to blow up and out of control? Let's let's get some of that hidden manna. It's there. He's got a special name for me. And I surely hope it doesn't reflect all the dumb things I've done trying to serve him. Amen. But even if it did, nobody else is going to know. I'd rather be Jesus' knucklehead than anyone else's knight in shining armor. Let me tell you that. Amen? Amen? I'm sorry it took so long to preach this sermon. Actually, I'm not. But I want us to get these letters. They're important. There's things that we've got to have if God's going to bring us through this time. Let's just pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we...